0: And morning Show. Brent Gunning, Justin Cuthbert. Not a busy night in the NHL. Well, I mean, it was busy. There were 32 picks made, but not a one- trade at the first round of the nhl draft tonight that will continue today catch it on sports dead sports dead now very very pleased to be joined by our first guest of the day this insider is brought to you by Don valley north lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom visit donvalleynorthlexus.com very happy to be joined by our friend and yours kipper nick kiprios kipper how's it going bud Good morning, guys. How are you? So, before we, we're doing well. Before we get into the hockey, I understand you were poking around the Joe Carter Classic Skins game on. I guess it would have been when two days ago, Tuesday. Tuesday. How did that? Yeah. How did that go for you, Kipper? I, uh, can you give us some scouting reports on some of the game you saw? How was yours? How'd it go?
1: Yeah, um, my game was actually really good. I was very happy with it. Uh, I shot an 80 at uh, Glen Abbey. Good for you. you. Yeah, good, but not good enough to score, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Rick Vive and Barry Larkin, Hall of Famer, uh, Cincinnati Red, uh, took all the money, and uh, they kind of lit it up. Good
0: for them. I did hear, I heard rumor in the in the suite that I was in uh, before the the event that uh, that it was Vive who took on the title. So good for him yeah. and uh, Barry Larkin. And honestly, again, uh, just great job by everybody involved at the Joe Carter Classic. Awesome day for us being down there yesterday. And I know you enjoyed yourself at the uh, Skin. So. We should probably talk about uh, the the comings and goings in the NHL. Uh, I, I guess we'll we'll start with your your latest column, uh, Kipper. We uh, we we got the advanced preview copy. Uh, Danielle is sending it over to us. Uh, John Tavares, a possibility of a no move being waived. You know, this is a thing we've talked about ad nauseam a bit, but maybe it's time to revisit that conversation, one, with the new general manager, and two, given all the other guys who have been asked to waive no moves in, in retention trades over the past couple of days.
1: Yeah, the the, the article out today in the Toronto Star um, really is just a, a, a revisit of what we've seen in the last week. And, uh, you know, if, if you start with uh, a Kevin Hayes deal or a Ryan Johansson deal, it starts with what were once deemed uh, unmovable, untradeable contracts and uh, contracts that have not lived up to to uh, performance or results uh, out of both players and what those respective clubs had to do to unload them. And that is put up the maximum amount of uh, money up uh, for sale. And that is 50%. And that changes everything. We, we know that uh, there's value in them. There's... they're, they're they're still uh, ser- serviceable NHL players uh, that can help you win if you have a, the right team around you. Uh, and they became very valuable uh, as soon as you shrunk their their salaries in half. And, you know, that kind of got revisiting uh, the John Tavares uh, scenario and uh, no question at $11 million. That's uh, dictating a lot of what's going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs if they were in a position to offer you know, 30, 40, uh, even 50%, how much does that change in terms of their ability to free up uh, enough money to maybe add a a frontline defenseman or uh, have the ability to maybe sign uh, Nylander again with Austin Matthews. So, you know, certainly something that I, I don't expect to see out of Brad tree living, but does Dr- Brad tree living, Oh leaf nation, at least a chance to explore it. Is he not doing his job? Uh, if he doesn't at least, uh, you know, explore the possibilities.
2: And as you write, Kipper, this is uh, partly an ownership decision, right? Like that's a bit different with the Toronto Maple Leafs. uh, And it's different with Eric Carlson uh, and the appetite to eat a lot of money with Carlson apparently is not there. And that might be the reason why a Norris trophy uh, winner uh, for the third time in his career uh, can't be moved. Um, Do you think anything will change on that front? Uh, Do you think Eric Carlson uh, will be able to, uh, you know, find, uh, find uh, a way out of San Jose or is the fact that, you know, the ownership is just wants something in return for the many millions it's spending on this asset. will just hold, uh, hold everything or be in the way of Eric Carlson, you know, using the last couple years of his career to actually contend.
1: Yeah. I, I, I expect Eric Carlson to move and I expect uh, San Jose to come to their senses that, yeah, it'll cost you a little bit of money, but uh, the possibilities, again, of of putting a Norris Trophy winner uh, in play and if you can create a salary that could, again, put these type of players, and they're very good players, and I'm not just, uh, you know, for John Tavares, a pointy game guy that can help a lot of teams make the playoffs, and for, for a lot of teams, their Stanley Cup is to get into the playoffs, um and uh, these guys can certainly do that, but once you bring Carlson's salary down into a, a play where you can bring teams legitimately into play, now you're also talking about adding assets. Like if 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 you were to eat forty percent of Carlson's contract and bring him down to a, a six or a seven million dollar uh, four year deal that you pick up. Like what? What would teams be willing to pay for that? Two first rounders, three first rounders. Uh, San Jose is is crazy if they say no, we're going to keep him. He's a hundred point guy. Only six guys have done that in history. Had one of the greatest seasons, and you still stink with him. You're still one of the worst teams in the league why would you hold on to this asset uh, and end up with nothing in a few years? So I think San Jose will come to their senses.
0: Yeah, and it's it's especially tough when it's so nakedly obvious that it's just you don't want to spend the money and you're going to you know kill your ability to get the asset that you could for a player who, as great as he is, isn't helping you right uh-huh. now just based on the kind of window you're in. So yeah, I, I would imagine it makes all the sense in the world that that's how it would play out <laughs> as well, right, Kipper? Well... <laughs> Uh, well, I know easy you, for you, me you, to say it's not my money, right? <laughs> you, but
1: you've you, you're 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 in a in a in a sandbox of a billion dollar mm-hmm. uh, hockey clubs here, right? So, like at, at the end of the day, what's twenty million dollars to protect your billion dollar asset here? Moving forward, it just makes no sense that San Jose will not uh, pick up a substantial amount uh uh, to retain uh and and not make a deal happen i just i just again it, i think they will come to their senses yeah and, it's like you know and and the question is and i don't think it's an issue for the Toronto Maple Leafs I, I think right i think uh ownership would would gladly eat uh you know 50% of John Tavares' contract if it meant uh you know reshaping the team or adding a, a frontline defenseman can they flip can, can they can they retain 40 or 50% of Tavares' contract and turn it into Orlov uh, during free agency. That's that's how you start thinking if you're Brad Tree Living.
0: Do you think that it's Tree Living now changes the calculus of that conversation? You know, obviously, Cal Dubas was in the pitch making the, the call to John Tavares, come play here, come home. Uh, Brendan Shanahan, I imagine, was also part of that. Now he's still here, but do you think it changes, it makes it, at all easier for the team to broach that with him now that it is a new general yeah, manager.
1: W- whether it does or not, it doesn't really matter. Like it does does Brad need to feel better about himself for <laughs> right. the ask? <laughs> really, come on, just 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 be a pro about it and say, you know, John, uh, you know, uh, we we think very highly of you as a person and as a player, but your 11 million doesn't work moving forward, and we'd like to find a new home for you. We will you work with us together here um and and then just at least start the process and see where it goes and you know if he snaps back at you no absolutely not then you know make your decision moving forward maybe it's hey john like we we don't see you as a a second line center anymore maybe it's the fourth line maybe it's in and out of the lineup maybe you know if if you want to play tough uh and, and you say listen you're uh, just stay home and 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 we're gonna move forward without you. Uh, like how tough, uh, how tough do you want to get here? I, I don't know. That's that's a call for Brad and and the Leaf organization, uh, moving forward. But this is big business. Uh, uh, there's a lot of pressure on all parties involved, and as Brad Tree Living said it best, there's no assurance assurances for for anyone.
2: Uh, let's say the question is asked, which I, I still do find hard to believe that the question will be asked. And I mean, Tre living hasn't changed anything yet. P- failing to put a stamp on it is is something that uh, is a, a reality we're at right now. I mean, him going back to David Camp, Holmberg, nothing really has changed. It seems like he's been prioritizing keeping what Kyle Dubas has built. However, that major deal might be there. But let's say the question is asked. And what's even crazier, Tavares is like, yeah, OK, send me somewhere. What do you think the market would look like?
1: Oh, I, I I think there'd be a, a lot of demand uh, on uh, John Tavares for two years at six or seven million dollars a year. Uh, teams are again desperate for to to make the playoffs. Scoring's at a premium. Uh, he's a pointy game guy, power play guy. Uh, there's a lot of teams that would uh, be interested in him, and again, uh, not only just take the contract, but maybe give up something, a, a prospect, a, a draft pick. Uh, uh, for guys like Carlson and, and Tavares, there'd be a, a tremendous market uh, if their if their uh, AAV got uh, uh, reslotted.
0: Yeah, I put myself in the shoes of well, I just imagine Tavares played for literally any other team, and it was the conversation of, oh wow, you could have this guy at six million, seven million dollars. It does definitely change the calculus, and it does make it a lot, a lot more appealing. Uh, you know, in terms of what the Leafs did yesterday with the camp move, uh, what does that, what does that say to you? I mean, a lot of people say, like Justin alluded to there, that it looks like okay, they're in full run it back mode. Uh, obviously, Treliving likes the player, uh, even though he was a guy Dubis brought in. Uh, do you think it's a little too much term a little too much money where where are you out on the camp deal yeah
1: i I didn't like four years at all Mm -hmm. uh to be honest with you and uh i've i've been a a fan of uh pontus holmberg uh since uh (laughs) yes you have you really have and And i'm telling i'm (laughs) telling you by by the end of next year he'll he'll be ahead of camp I, i i yikes i'd sooner see uh i sooner expect to see holmberg uh Playing third line center than than Camp by the end of next year, and a, uh, the Leafs got a steal at eight hundred thousand. Uh, clearly, this guy had no appetite to to challenge or uh, to ask for more money. So uh, good on the Leafs for getting him so dirt cheap. But uh, I, I I do believe at the uh, at the end of the year he'll he could be ahead of David Camp.
2: So if you really if you know you're trying to uh spin it a certain way 800,000 for Holmberg, 2.4 million AAV for uh David Camp, that is if my math serves me correctly, 3.2 million dollars annually, you cut that in half, maybe you're paying two centers who are going to be your 3 and your 4 1.6 million dollars total. If you do it like that, maybe it's not so bad, but I think the question still or it still begs the question. I mean, where is the offense going to come from the bottom six I mean if we're talking about maybe moving on from Tavares that removes 80 to 90 points from the equation at some point here Kipper doesn't Trelliving have to find a way to inject some scoring into this team
1: yeah again but uh outside of that I think uh when you see an $800,000 offer and accepted uh you know from the Leafs perspective you're you're jumping up and down but uh, you, there's nowhere really you can go outside of knowing exactly what you're locking in Austin at and and where Willie Nylander draws the line on what he's willing to sign and what he isn't. So as soon as we get some clarity in that uh, in the next uh, 48 hours or, or so here, um, not much he can do uh, other than the fact that just to, to wait it out, you know, Bunting's not coming back. Uh Nola Charis probably priced himself uh out uh unfortunately. Uh it'll it'll be tough. It'll be tough to 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 lock in, you know, your bottom six, but uh you still gotta find out what's what the budget is left after the big boys go.
0: So speaking of the big boys there, uh, obviously, Austin Matthews is the name on the tip. Everybody's tongue. William Nylander right there behind him. Uh, The Devils lock up Timo Meyer yesterday, eight times 8.8. How do you kind of compare and contrast Nylander and Meyer in terms of their value across the league? Do you think people can look at that and say that's somewhat of a baseline for what Nylander it's fair for him to ask or his his market? Uh, How do you think the Meyer deal yesterday has any effect on the, the Nylander negotiations?
1: Well, the Leafs are certainly hopeful, and so are <laughs> Leaf fans. But I don't think Louis Gross uh, and and maybe Michael or uh, and Willie and and their and and Willie's dad. I was Michael. good to say you're forgetting a name there. Yeah, <laughs> and and Willie's dad Michael uh, would agree. Uh, as a forty goal scorer, and you know, knocking on the door of a hundred points, uh, I, I think it's less about Timo Meyer and. Uh, and Pierre-Luc Dubois' salary and more about uh, Pasternak's salary and Johnny Gaudreau's salary and Panarin's salary uh, that Willie Nylander would kind of classify himself around. And that, to me, uh, puts him right up around $10 million plus a year. More likely to make a concession
2: on their contract and given that they're in different ballparks. Uh, do you think it's Willi- William Nylander or Austin Matthews who would do that?
1: Well, it's certainly lending towards Austin not breaking the bank on uh, on pushing forward as the highest paid player in the league. Uh, thinking that, uh, you know, all the comments coming out that uh, it's about building around him would suggest that he'd be up around uh, $13 uh, million on an AAV. And uh, I, I think it's important for Austin to come back and and not have Leaf Nation feel like uh like they did five years ago uh when he he pushed uh right at the very top with his eleven six over five years and this one's got a, a much different feel. So the only question is is like is is there enough time to save that uh that that philosophy that Brendan Shanahan, you know, let's not forget uh, first introduced to them when they all needed uh, secondary contracts, right? You remember that one, yeah. and yeah. it did. It didn't work back then, and and now it seems like he's he's picking up that vibe. Um, but it, is there enough time to save it? And uh, what's the domino effect of Austin saying, "Okay, I'm I'm leaving"? You know, maybe a million dollars I can get somewhere else on an AAV to to help build the team. Does Willie Nielander fall in place? Does Mitch Marner fall in place a year later, uh, this time next year, uh, or did 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 his eleven six five year deal, um, you know? cause the horses to, to, to leave the barn, never to bring them back. We'll, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, we always talk about cap comparables kind of across the league, but I think the thing that, that is just as telling as to where your cap's going to go is the highest paid guy on the team. I mean, we've seen it in Tampa where they kind of set things. They've got that going on in New Jersey now, and obviously, like you said, Tavares comes in at 11. Matthews rings the bell uh, above that. You know, I think the thing about Matthews, and obviously there's been so much talk about maybe it's a three-year deal, about five potentially is, do you think we'll see another player of note follow suit anytime soon? Because I'm looking ahead at the coming UFA classes and it's not that there's not any star players out there, but there's not a ton of guys. I mean, you're going to have Dreisaitl. I think it's the same year as Marner. Rantanen is going to be up soon. I just don't know that I see any of those guys taking the Matthews route of saying, yeah, give me a three-year deal so I can get one more big contract before I'm done. I think the only way that you know when we talk about the fan base is reaction that they will kind of and they're going to live with it it's austin matthews he's, as long as he's putting it in the net he's going to be beloved but do you think that this will actually start a bit of a trend across the league or does it feel like he's going to be the only one who who does it this way with taking these shorter deals
1: yeah uh I, i'm not sure if there's a, a trend there it's got to come to preferential treatment or a, uh you know yeah a per player um You know, situation, what works for you? What are you comfortable with? And uh, um, it's just an individual thing. And, yeah, I think if it's a three-year deal, people will still question his long-term commitment from Toronto. You know how this market is. They're always going to nitpick something. Guilty. (laughs) Um, And, you know, people are going to question if, uh, you know, what the team's going to look like uh, as early as next year or or two more remaining years if it's just a three-year deal. Um, but I don't think uh, I don't think it'll it'll necessarily uh, set a trend here. Um, I think there's still the lure of you know an eighty or ninety million dollar commitment opposed to maybe a forty, and that's what we're looking for. You know, on a three year deal for for Austin is a forty million deal, while you know uh, this time next year. You know, Mitch Marner could be looking at an eight-year deal uh, well above uh, $100 million. So how much security do you want? How much uh, do you feel like, uh, again, you could be in a situation like uh, Landis Cog in Colorado where you just won the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, you're, you're loving life, and the next thing you know, you're, you're told that uh, you've suffered uh, a career-ending injury. So to each their own. Um, I don't think there'll be a trend there. It'll just have to be what's best for you. Yeah, best
2: laid plans uh, might go out the window if there's $120 million on the table, uh, which could be the reality Uh, for Austin Matthews. um, Last one for you, Kepper. Easton Cowan is the pick last night, 28th overall. Can you glean anything from that selection as it pertains to Tri living and the new look Leafs?
1: Yeah, I I know a lot of people think it was uneventful last night, um, but... Uh, that one came off the board. Uh, I don't think there's uh, a lot of teams that even had him maybe in a top 50 scenario. Uh, but here's the good news. Uh, he, he, he's a London Knight. And last time I checked, they had a, a pretty good record for for producing uh, NHL players. Uh, and the number one thing with him is compete. And uh, at times, that's been questionable in this organization. So uh, it, it's a good thing. Uh, not the biggest guy in the world uh but uh it's it's the fight in the dog that uh that matters here, and uh so far you know all words are that uh uh this guy wants to play and he wants to compete and uh I think Lee fans could look forward to that in the next coming years.
2: A decent default pick is going to the London Knight, and Easton Cowan is, in fact, a London Knight. Uh, Kipper Kipper and Bourne will be must-watch today. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning, and, of course, we'll be uh, watching what you guys have to say about the Leafs as uh, we march closer to July 1. Okay, guys, have a great day. That's Nick Kiprios, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. Yeah, it could be in excess of a hundred million dollars, big time, bigly. Uh, or it also could be three years, thirty-nine million. And I think if you're a Leaf fan, you might jump at three years, thirty-nine million. That would be thirteen million dollars a season. That would be four more years guaranteed with Austin Matthews. That would take him to age thirty-one. No, that would take him to I believe before it's twenty-seven. Age 30. So right around it would 30, take yeah. him to 30, 31, I guess with four years left. So yeah. Uh, 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 it's fascinating, right? Because they plotted this out long time ago, a long time ago. Five years. Let's do another short one. Then huh. let's do the maximum term. Uh-huh. Take us all the way to 38, 39 years old. That's how you maximize career earnings. But again, if an eight-year term at $15 million is just plopped on the table,
0: it might be too big to resist. I, it all goes to me where what I asked Kipper there towards the end about the idea of could I see literally one other guy? do this across the league. I would take just one to to make me feel a little better about this. And Matthews wants to be here. He wants to win as a leaf, all that stuff. But you cannot look at the way, and again, I will walk back all of this if he doesn't sign a three-year deal. But if you look at the way he has played this out, you cannot say that he is at least prioritizing his own financial gain at least as much as team success that is his right to do but let's not pretend like there is not a correlation between those two things i again i looked ahead at the coming ufa classes over the over the next handful of years you have got some marquee guys, it is not a ton. It's Rantanen, it's Marner. Oh boy, wouldn't that be a nightmare scenario if the only two guys who did it were Leafs? You got Drysaddle when his banger is up with Edmonton, but guess what? He's going to be a little older, and maybe it's just time for that eight-year deal for a guy like Drysaddle. He already signed the eight-year deal, Well, I, well, so I guess, he has to sign another one. Right? And this is where it is, this is why I think the frustration will continue to mount. If you saw Even one other guy or even somebody muse about the possibility of attacking this way, you would feel better of, okay, well, at least he's the trendsetter. The least have had trendsetters in all the worst ways regarding this core, and I understand getting your money. It's just why is he the only one who has to get it this way? Because he's one of the only ones who did five years out of entry level. And again, if... Austin Matthews is like Mount Rushmore guy in the NHL. I know the last season we're a little down on him, but right now, you know, we'll just say forwards D goalie. It's a little weird, but he is a Mount Rushmore center in the NHL right now. Okay. Okay. Connor McDavid didn't do it. Nathan McKinnon didn't do it. If you are going to honestly say, I'm above those guys, what are we talking about here? Nate took six, but also took far less. But he didn't have the entry level that Austin Matthews did. Because, and again, this goes back to the point I've made about the Devils, that the new money ball in hockey is having your guys be promising, but not (laughs) not productive. No, (laughs) it is all the same money ball. It is just have your top... Have your number one overall pick look good but not amazing. Sign him to a great banger of a deal that only gets better every single year it's signed. Oh, and the cap's gonna go up, so it's only gonna look even better. The devils are gonna be laughing for a decade here, and good on them. But you cannot look at what's gonna happen with them and what has happened to this Leafs or to the Leafs in this window and not draw an exact line starting with. Austin Matthews five-year deal.
2: And then you steal good players from Vegas because they prefer Ivan Barbashev, which yep. is, you know, good on them. That's also their prerogative. <laughs> uh, we got to do a quick chew here. It's something, it's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Um, yum, 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 yum. There it is. There it You're is. You're lucky there's cameras in here, Santos. <laughs> You'd be
0: getting a gesture, okay?
2: Speaking of money, uh, Michael Grange has a great article, of course, on the Raptors up at sportsnet.ca. Raptors focused on re-signing Van Vliet and Pertle, but challenges remain. And a nugget from that column is, speaking of dollars, Armed with $60 million in cap room and no state tax in Texas, the Houston Rockets are expectedly trying to, or will expectedly try to tempt Freddie with a two-year deal worth $80 million, $40 million a year for Fred Van Vliet. That is something the Raptors cannot do themselves. It's, you know, it comes down to decisions and prerogatives and what you want to do, what you you, uh, covet at this stage of your career. If it's $80
0: million Mm -hmm. over the next two years, Well, that means Fred's going to Houston. Yeah, if I'm Fred VanVleet, that's what I would do. Uh, In theory, the other side of this is winning. Uh, We don't need to. I don't need to give the Raptors another drive-by when we're not really talking about them, but why would it be winning if he's coming here? It's very mushy middle land. So if your choices are a championship or the big bag on a short year deal and you get to do it all over again, yeah, that's probably a hard choice. But if it is, you know, I'm sure he loves his time in Toronto. It's where he's made his home. His kids are born, like all that stuff. But... Why would, why would it be that hard to, to walk away from when this is a situation where he's going to get paid, but not nearly the extent he would in Houston. He's going to be able to shoot a ton there. He's going to look very productive, possibly end up on a title contender at the tail end of that deal as a deadline buyout or a flip guy, and then you're looking at getting another chance to sign the big money deal. So I know it seems weird to be so positive about Fred Van Vliet doing this, given everything I just said about Austin Matthews, but very, very different scenarios, and I quite honestly expect. Them to take the money uh,
2: it would be a nice feather in the old uh culture cap i'll put it if the raptors managed to uh convince fred van vliet to not take 80 million dollars from a team that is not gonna win mm-hmm. let's be honest uh but can give him the most money come
0: lose with us
2: yeah come lose with us would be uh it would be a win it would be maybe one of the only wins, though, this upcoming season for the Toronto Raptors, although we shall see. Uh, we got to get to Ben Wagner on the other side of the break. Blue Jays radio play-by-play announcer will join us to talk a little bit about the Blue Jays at the halfway mark and what we should expect in the back half of the season. That's next.
3: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We have reached the back half of the Toronto Blue Jays season, and we've also reached the back half of this baby Friday. 8 a.m. hour will feature Jackie Redmond and Ailish Forfar, but right now we have Blue Jays play-by-play announcer on the radio side, M 590 the fan, Ben Wagner. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Uh, it's Canada Day week, I suppose, uh, which is a big day at the ballpark, of course. Is it still a really, really exciting time? Are you geared up for Canada Day this weekend? What's, uh, what's Canada Day mean to the guy who's going to be in the booth calling the game?
3: Outside of opening day, it is the broadcast and the, the ballpark experience that I look most forward to. But that's the honest truth. Um, it's very hard in any day in the calendar. to top opening day of a regular season for me. But Canada Day is right there, neck and neck. I love the pageantry. I love the fans as they get dressed up. It is an absolute ocean of red for many of the people coming to the ballpark. Obviously, the Blue Jays theme it up, and they do a great job. One, with the uniforms. I love the color scheme. Two, with the pregame ceremony. Uh, I I've got a sneak peek of some of that as well as they were practicing after the ball game last night. So a couple of surprises, I think people will really enjoy as well. Um, all part of that pregame kind of lead up to a big first pitch and hopefully an exciting back half of the season that rightfully so rightfully so should kick off with a big, uh, the big candidate weekend.
0: Yeah, there's nothing better. You got the big flag flying in, in center field. And if uh, you're lucky enough uh, and the uh, the roof is open there, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's wonderful pageantry and you, you nailed it opening day. And then this year we got kind of like a secondary one with the, with the extended uh, home opener deep into the season because of the renos. So yeah, we'll take all the special days. Uh, we, we can uh, oh, special is probably too strong a term, but nice night for the blue Jays offense last night. Uh, just given everything that happened uh, two games ago, kind of wasting the gem from Kevin Gosman felt like it was really really important for them to to bounce back in the way they did. And, you know, we know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's also a little bit true hitting can be contagious. And, you know, to see those guys just have a night where the ball's finding some holes and they're, they're really kind of barreling things up. Uh, do you think that this can kind of maybe spurn them on after a, a rough night in, in Gosman's last outing? Well,
3: that's what they want, right? That is what they were looking for on Tuesday night. That's the big hit that was elusive for the blue Jays. They were empty again, with runners in scoring position. It seems to be this season's albatross has been runners in scoring position for the Blue Jays. But repeatedly, now not just a couple of weeks, not just one month, but for three months, we've heard this team can put together big innings, this team can put together rallies, this team is expected to string together the hits and not rely solely on the three run home run or multiple home run ball games. Uh, Last night in the first inning is exactly what the Blue Jays were expected to do. They had four doubles, which was nice. They capitalized with runners in scoring position, especially early. But after the first inning, that really didn't happen. Logan Webb did find a nice little groove. He got the sinker under control, and he's a pretty good pitcher right now. And he was rolling a little bit, and the Blue Jays got to him early. And thankfully, and we've seen this, you get to a guy early, you might not get him late. And fortunately for the Blue Jays, that five-run first inning was something that uh, John Schneider has talked repeatedly about getting. And when you've got Springer, Bichette, Brandon Belt was part of it. Wood Merrifield continues to hit. Uh, you know, it was a nice night for the lineup, bottom line. It
2: was also the best of the bullpen days so far, which is uh, no small thing, I think. And not that they were prioritizing Canada Day. Well, they might have prioritized Canada Day just a little bit, (laughs) trying to get Yusei Kikuchi out there, which they did. But also getting some rest uh, for Burrios and Bassett and sort of spreading things out a little bit. But if it blows up in your face because, well, the bullpen blows up, well, that doesn't really look good for the rest of the week. And, of course, the special day on Saturday. Uh, What was different for the bullpen Not that it's been really the bullpen day, rather. Not that it's been like a sore spot per se, but it was at its best yesterday. So why was it at its best?
3: You know, this this bullpen scenario, certainly not ideal. But what Trevor Richards has been able to do for the Blue Jays and serve multiple roles, but yet give them length and give them a, a very quality outing, regardless of how much he's been asked. One time through the order, maybe just one inning. But yesterday through his three, and then Bowden Francis, uh, I, I have to speak to young guy's accolades. You know, he came up with a flash, a little bit of a cup of coffee last year. Nobody knew what you were going to get from Bowden Francis moving into spring training. He had an uptick in velocity. The breaking ball looked a little bit better in camp. He's improved as the season has gone along. He deserved a shot to pitch in this role. And those two guys combined to cover seven innings on 90 pitches. If you go into a bullpen day, You're looking for effective, efficient work. And that's exactly what you got from Trevor Richards. And then to one-up him, Bowden Francis goes in there against a really good San Francisco Giants lineup that had been rolling and was great. Pound the strike zone. Don't get too cute. Try to get some contact early in counts and just utilize your repertoire and try to keep them off balance. And he did a wonderful job. And the ripple effect of that is you get the depth from those two guys. You didn't cook the bullpen for now. What will be the finale against the Giants? And they are lined up so well going into the weekend against the Red Sox.
0: So with, with Bowden Francis there, and, you know, obviously Alec Manoa is working uh, to to get back the, I think it's fair to call what happened earlier this week, a, a setback for him. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But with the Blue Jays needing another starter because of Manoa, do you think it's possible that they look at Bowden Francis maybe stretching him out a little, not as an opener, but kind of more a starter? And I realize that's a bit of a semantics argument, but it's also not, if you understand what I'm saying. Does that seem like right now the kind of most obvious guy? to fill the fifth starter's void or maybe there's a there's a trade that needs to happen? How do you see that playing out?
3: Well, I, I think they're looking. Uh, without a doubt, they're looking. But they're not going to sell the farm for a fifth starter or somebody to just plop into the rotation knowing that we are weeks away from Hyunjin Ryu getting a shot to pitch. And he's going to start. He's going to be in the rotation. There are no questions about it. When he gets good and stretched out, Ryu is going to be part of this. And even to the point where, if Alec Manoa is back at some point, it becomes a six-man rotation. I really believe that. In the short term, Bowden Francis has deserved a shot, and I go back even to that that first go around. You know where he came out. I think was really effective. Uh, he's pitched well enough to deserve a shot, whether it's in a starting capacity or a significant bulk role. Uh, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to overexpose him. They'll look at the matchups and they'll look at his opponent specifically and whether or not they feel from a data analysis standpoint that an opener would serve him best ahead of him or a traditional start. I think everything is on the table and it will be a creative approach to however the blue Jays need this, this open spot and how they have to navigate through it. Uh, The fortunate part is they've got another off date coming up in a little bit and by by Richards only throwing 40 pitches. One, I think he's available if you can get him a Friday, maybe Saturday appearance in short term, and they might need him you know, in a traditional bullpen role. But then you can roll him into that Chicago White Sox series. So now you may give a bonus day to Kevin Gossman, and you might get a bonus day of rest in between starts for Chris Bassett. And I think that's also just another big factor here as the Blue Jays try to work their way towards the All-Star break.
2: Uh, interesting point on the six-man rotation possibility um, because, like, it's easy to understand the merits. I mean, Kevin Gosman is absolutely electric on uh, an extra day's rest, uh, but also maybe you lose out on a, a Gosman start in the end if you go that route. But uh, there's also, you know, minimizing the weaknesses or potentially minimizing the weaknesses. Is there any concern, though, on what that would do for the bullpen if you ran a six-man rotation? And why do you think it's, it's the best path moving forward uh, if they indeed get to that point?
3: Well, I think the end game here is getting to the playoffs and making sure you've got enough bolts in the chamber to survive a long run through October. That's what I really think. And to get through the next couple of months knowing that you want, you've you seen the best results from Kevin Gosman pitching with five days rest. Uh, Chris Bassett could certainly use it, I think, Pose Barrios, you know, nobody, nobody is like a Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray was so adamant a couple of years ago. He wanted to pitch on his fifth day. He was, he was banging the drum it. He didn't want the extra rest. They worked around off days to, to even manipulate that. So Robbie had his routine. Nobody in the rotation right now is a standard five day guy. And the blue Jays understand the value and the pitching staff understands the value of having that bonus day of rest. And Gosman is a huge proponent. Alec Manoa has embraced that even last year where he would take days off from playing catch. I don't think it would hurt the Blue Jays to have these extra days in there because the guys embrace the extra, days, the extra day of rest. Plus then you have a very motivated Jin Ryu coming back. He's going to be a free agent after this year. He's coming off injury. He wants to kind of ride off into this four-year contract and have the same success as he started with the Blue Jays because he was really good that first year. It was a shortened season. We didn't get to see the longevity of Ken Jin Ryu, but we would love to see what he could do and cap it off, even in a short sample size through the final two months of the regular season, and then whatever, the Blue Jays can position themselves in for a postseason run. Uh, I I certainly don't think it hurts the bullpen either in the scenarios. I think it it might even allow guys some extra rest if if you're able to get some depth out of who is in the rotation, but I, you know, and I'm not jumping the gun. I'm not saying right out of the all-star break. These mm-hmm. guys are doing it. Alec Manoa has got a long way to go. you know, I talk to people in the organization, everything that's happening in Florida right now with Alec Manoa is very calculated and it's not like he's going to throw. We, we spend so many time, so much of this time, you know, talking about days in between starts. Well, here's another conversation about it. Um, you know, Manoa pitched competitively in the coast league and now his next challenge will not even be a, a traditional start. He's going to throw uh, basically a, uh, a manipulated bullpen, I guess, on Friday. So, you know, not everything is going to be lined up where it's going to be, here's, a, here's an outing on the backfield for Alcman. That's why I, I say the six-man rotation is something in the future. It is distant, but it still might be August.
0: Yeah, just I was going to say, just hearing the the plans laid out there, it does seem and I think I want to be clear. I think this is the pragmatic and the right approach, but it does seem like still a lengthy road for for Manoa to get back to the big leagues. But I think the other the other part of that as well, Ben, is that with a guy that talented is that if it once it starts to click, it could kind of ramp up in warmth, warp speed as well. So, yeah, it's definitely something interesting. We're, we're all kind of kind of watching there. One other guy I wanted to ask you about is, is Nate Pearson. You know, if we would have been ha- if somebody. would have time traveled from three years ago to hearing the Blue Jays need a fifth starter. Uh, They'd be wondering why we hadn't mentioned Nate Pearson's name yet, and it's because he's found a role. He's found a home. Now I know he had a couple of rough outings earlier in the month, the one against the Marlins, the one against the Rangers, but other than that he has been nails. I have been begging for some high 90s triple digit stuff in the Jays pen, and they've got it in him. It's just so nice to see him kind of find a a home and a role with this team, because you know, the promise that was of one day the ace, and then there were so many stops and starts, and even great outings in the playoffs. It's really, really nice to see Pearson kind of back to finding a home uh, in the bullpen.
3: It certainly is, and you know, patience was the key, and you had to find uh, a healthy, a healthy Nate Pearson first and foremost. You know, I mean, around the performance, there has been a lot of setbacks with his health and trying to get him healthy on the mound and find some consistency. And thankfully, the Blue Jays have it now, and they need a, you know, they need a power arm that can cover a couple of frames if necessary. He can give you an up-down. He can go out and get three outs and breeze through it. He can give you a couple of things, or he can just be a power matchup if you need a big out And when he lets it eat. Uh, and everything, again, to put him in the best-case scenario around the days that are necessary. He's better with a couple of days' rest. you know. And he can come out and give you the length or just, like I said, a power one, two, three. Uh, but we are seeing the best of Nate Pearson right now. Fastball you know, Fastball execution that had hurt him if if he doesn't have the fastball execution for some reason it appears that his opponents see the ball well but when he's down in the zone working the edges he is effective as anybody in the game and he can elevate the four seamer as well so it rides at triple digits up in the zone nobody can touch it nobody can touch it you know if he gets hurt it's usually middle middle and it's a failure to execute the fastball but the slider has been great. The curveball has been an emerging pitch for him that I think is an incredible weapon right now. And one that there's just not that big of a book on because he hasn't used it when he's been in the major leagues and really has tabled it up until his time in winter ball. And then unleashed it a little bit in the minor leagues. And now we're, we're benefiting seeing it while he's working in the big leagues. He's a great piece and he's going to have a significant role for the blue Jays in the back half of the season.
2: Uh, ben Wagner on the line Uh Ben. So I mentioned off the top uh, Blue Jays at the halfway mark, which is, you know, when we reach a halfway mark, it offers the time to reflect. So when you do reflect, what pops, what's surprising, what's encouraging, what's maybe concerning as you look back on the first 81 games of the season.
3: Uh, encouraging. I love the way they play defense. Certainly an improvement in the outfield, you know, balls that that just simply were not caught last year are now being caught. And there are balls that, That are balls that you think we're going to drop. (laughs) And all of a sudden, Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer, George Springer crash into walls and they make incredible plays. Uh, That has been a highlight in the outfield and run prevention and limiting the amount of runs that the pitching staff give up is because of a great, great play in the outfield. Uh, That has been really encouraging. Whit Merrifield's role for me has been such a surprise. You, You know, I wondered how he would factor in. This year, a full season, more comfort being with the Blue Jays, understanding a role, and the fact that a role may not be playing every day, might not be in the certainly in the same position every day. But here's a guy that's hitting nearly 300, likely to go to an All-Star game and represent the Blue Jays, and he's doing it not the early part of his career either. You know, this is a guy that had kind of shifted gears and thought maybe, you know, this is now as a veteran on the ball club, a different role that he's going to that he's going to factor in and play um, his bat one in playing time and two hit wit is exactly that for the blue Jays. And he's been a really nice piece, whether he's batting six in the order or up in the order, batting second in between Springer and Bichette. Uh, so he's been a really, really nice surprise. Um, there are a couple others, of course, the, the consistency of bow. <clears throat> I don't know that you can call it a surprise because he's doing the same thing that we've watched and do. The last two years, you know, he's on pace for over 200 hits for the first time in his career and likely to lead the league in base hits for a third consecutive season, becoming the first to do that in franchise history. So uh, is it a surprise? Maybe just the amount of consistency where we see Bo at the plate and he is just a specimen to watch and what he does with his body and the bat, because he hits pitches all over the place. I mean, nothing, Nothing is certainly out of his reach to get a ball in play. It's remarkable to watch, um, you know. So those are a couple of highlights. The turnaround by Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi certainly encouraging for the Blue Jays perspective. I thought Jose was the most important pitcher coming into the season, and everybody has had their blips. You know, whether you're Chris Bassett, Kevin Gossman, everybody has certainly had their blips, but. The body of work overall for Jose Barrios has been outstanding. You say Kikuchi can fall into that category. Um, you know, the one thing that you're just left kind of looking for is this explosive offense getting away from so many tight ball games. And I think right there in the middle of it is certainly lofty expectations for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because, and I'm taking away the home run totals. Um, I, I need to see. Vladdy spray the line drives all over the ballpark like we know he can do. And with that, come the extra base hits, certainly come the home runs, but it is a threat when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is locked in and and semi-locked in Um, when he's not expanding the zone, chasing stuff and, and really pressing. And I think the first couple of months have been Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just trying to do too much, trying to come up with the big hit every time he's coming to the plate versus just letting the the pitches come to him and let the opponent make a mistake. Uh, If Lottie gets going, I think this offense takes it to a next
0: level. Yeah, the other thing that, that jumps out to me as well is if I would have told uh, you and a lot of other people, Ben, at the beginning of the season that for for all intents and purposes, Alec Manoa was going to disappear off the face of the earth yeah. and the team was seven games above 500, I think a lot of people would have taken that. Uh, it hasn't played out exactly the way uh, they wanted to, but I think that would surprise uh, a lot of people. Uh, have a good call tonight, Ben. We really, really appreciate the, appreciate the time. Always love you jumping on for us.
3: Well, it is my pleasure, and I have to, I have to give one other surprise, maybe Please. not even a surprise, one guy that just deserves a lot more credit than I think he's getting, Jordan Romano. Jordan Romano has been awesome for the Blue Jays. And uh, in, in terms of how much he's been asked to pitch and the workload and what he's been able to do, four out saves, up downs, You know they're using him in a unique way this year. And he is still among the best in terms of results for the Blue Jays. So uh, he's somebody else on the back end of that bullpen that really deserves a lot of credit. But it's great talking to you guys. Thanks so much for the time this morning.
0: Thank you. Uh, there he goes. Ben Wagner, radio voice and occasional TV voice, often uh, TV voice. We're, we're putting him to work. Multi-platform beast, uh, as I like to call him. Ben Wagner, he'll be on the call tonight. seven o seven, first 1st pitch for the Blue Jays and Giants, wrapping up their set. Chris Bassett on the bump, uh, the ever-dangerous TBD scheduled for the Giants today. Catch it right here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, watch it on Sportsnet and Sportsnet Now.
2: Yeah, Ben was great on TV, and then Ben was great on radio. And if I'm doing the, alliter- of the alliteration thing, which I am, uh, Blair and Barker had a great show yesterday where what they had you? Ross Adkins on. Uh, and just two notes quickly before we get to break based on that. They did say they expected Manoa mm-hmm. back this season, uh, so that's something they're working towards, and that probably shouldn't be that much of a surprise. <laughs> and they also said, or they also said, Ross Atkins said, uh, that he can envision the team selling before the deadline. Almost under no real circumstances, it seemed uh, that they would explore uh, that. So, yeah, there's still a lot of hope and they're seeing the encouragement of you know being 7 games over 500 and going through a lot of adversity uh to start the season the best may yet be to come for the Toronto Blue Jays and I think that's the way Ross Atkins sees it.
0: I I will say it till I'm blue in the face uh this team's chances to have real meaningful moments are directly linked to Alec Benoa having them himself. So they can get in without him, they cannot accomplish anything without him though in my opinion.
2: That may in fact be true uh, we have a really busy 8 a.m hour we have Jackie Redmond co-host of NHL now and on the NHL network Ladies and in now, free after eight <laughs> that's that is that is true uh, that is true I'll let you you should have set that up in the 8 a.m hour at least Jackie would have heard it uh, and she's also the new, the uh, new backstage interviewer at raw for WWE which is a huge gig yeah, a pretty, pretty good. Massive gig all our guys by the glass just
0: looked at me like I'm about to
2: get fired <laughs> in the commercial break though so
0: maybe I'll be back maybe I won't <laughs>
2: Uh, she is. Uh, she has all the jobs. She, she has does. all the jobs. And Ailish was doing another job in Nashville. Uh, she was leading the digital coverage on YouTube with the draft cast with Colby Armstrong. So we will catch up with those two after the break. Looking forward to a busy 8 a.m. hour on the Fan Morning Show.